You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. And uh, we're going to get right into the Word. I am so excited about the message for today. This is week number nine in our series called Be Rich. And uh, I'm really enjoying this. How about you? And I hope it's bringing some revelation and insight to you concerning uh, what God wants for us. Now, again, as we've been saying all throughout the series, this is much, much greater than than money. It's much bigger than money. It's all about uh, the kind of life that God wants us to live. And that is a life that's a resource in God's hands that can be used to meet the needs of other people. And that's what God's plan is. And so I don't know about you, but I have made a renewed commitment to allow my life to be that resource and allow God to increase my life to a degree where I can be a resource and a blessing for other people and help meet the needs of people. And not just on a spiritual level, but if God needs me to on a natural level as well. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's look at our foundation scripture. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. And it says this, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. Now, there's a direct promise right there that you can receive. And then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. You know, that's what will happen when we do make our lives a resource that God can use. Um, the whole goal is not for you and me to receive thanks and glory. The, all the glory needs to go to Jesus. And that's why it's so important that as we do love people and minister to them, we always point them to the Lord Jesus. But God wants our lives to be enriched in every way so that we can always be generous. And as I said to you, it's greater than money. It's, you know, it's wonderful to have peace that you can pass to someone else, that you can minister joy to someone, that you can minister love to someone. And so those are the resources that God wants us to have an abundance of. Now, if you weren't here last week, or if you were here, I think most of you were here, let's uh, look at some scriptures that talk about some principles of reaping. That's what we're talking about, principles of reaping, sowing and reaping. And uh, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 5 says this, He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Now, I heard Keith Moore first share this scripture uh, a few years ago. And uh, I, I like this scripture because I don't want to be a son who causes the Lord shame. I don't want to sleep through my harvest. And God wants us to receive a harvest. God wants you to receive a big harvest. Amen? Okay. He doesn't want us just reaping little harvests. He wants us reaping big harvests for him. Proverbs 10, 5 in the Living Bible says this, A wise youth makes hay while the sun shines, but what a shame 
to see a lad who sleeps away his hour of opportunity. And I never want to be someone who sleeps through my hour of opportunity. I know you don't either. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4, uh, the first part of this we read last week, verse 1, 1 through 3, where it talks about cast your bread upon the water. But verse 4 says this, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So what, what Solomon is telling us here in Ecclesiastes is that there is never going to be a convenient time to sow and reap. And you're never going to sow and reap if all you do is look at natural external circumstances. Uh, you know, there's going to be times when God is going to need you to sow when, you know, it, the amount that you have to sow might not be all that great. And there might be times when it is time to reap when you look around and you go, this isn't the time to reap. You know, when you have an economy that's upside down, when you have, uh, you know, people that uh, are, you know, companies that are downsizing and that type of thing, you would think that that's not an environment that you can reap, but it really is. And we're going to see that this week. Ecclesiastes 11.4 in the Living Bible says this, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Can anybody say amen to that? All right. Now, so we talked about principles of reaping. Let's look and review why people don't reap. What are some reasons that we don't reap a harvest? Well, here's the first one. People don't reap a harvest because they have not sown. You're not going to reap a harvest if you haven't sown anything. So it's important that we keep seed in the ground all the time. So people don't reap a harvest because they have not sown. Here's the next one. Some people do not reap because they quit and give up before they harvest. So even when it, you look around and it doesn't seem like anything's happening, really God is moving. Because here's, here's what you need to resolve on the inside of you. God is not a liar. And if he says this is what's going to happen, it will happen. Now it might not always happen in the way we desire for it to happen, but it happens. God's word will not fail. So some people... Don't reap because they quit and give up before they harvest. Galatians 6, 9 in the Message Bible says this. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a crop if we don't give up or quit. Now, one thing, if you'll remember, one of the promises of a tither that God makes to us in Malachi chapter 3 is this, that your harvest will come forth at the right time. So you need to be believing God that you don't have any early harvest. You know, I've got a, my grandmother several years ago gave me a, a blueberry bush. She raised blueberries on, on their farm down there in, in Florida and uh, had acres of blueberries. And so she gave me a little blueberry bush several years ago and I brought that blueberry bush home and it's now on the balcony of my apartment and so forth. And, uh, you know, one thing that I have learned is, and of course they don't deal with this that much down in Florida, but we get late frosts up here. And, uh, you know, I've had that little bush bloom and, you know, it was looking good and had several blooms on it. And here would come a late frost and would wipe out all of those late blooms. And then of course I wouldn't get any blueberries off the bush, but God's promise to us is that in, in spiritual things that your harvest will not get robbed by frost because it's too early. It will come forth at exactly the right time. God's going to see to it that your harvest is protected. 
So here's one other thing, and I believe this is uh, the last thing that we covered last week, and that is this. Some people don't reap a harvest because they think reaping is automatic. Now, this is one thing I had to learn, is that reaping is not automatic. It doesn't just automatically happen. You know, we read the scripture last week from Mark chapter 4, and it says this, but when the grain ripens immediately, he, the farmer, puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. You remember, we, we read the entirety of this scripture where it said that the farmer sowed, that he went out, prepared the soil, he sowed the seed, but then he went and slept and rose night and day, and he didn't know how, but the seed came up. So remember, we talked last week, it's the farmer's responsibility to sow, it's, it's God's responsibility to produce the crop, but then again, it's the farmer's responsibility to reap the harvest. So, you know, that might be a little foreign to us, uh, you know, for those of us who have been at this for a little while, because, you know, that's one, one part of the process that, that I know I don't recall having ever been taught before until the last few years. And so maybe I wasn't listening, <laughs> but, but I got it this time. So we have a part to play in the harvest. Now, one last reason, and this is on your notes, that uh, people don't reap a harvest. And another reason is this, is that they have forgotten that they have sown. Another reason that some people do not reap their harvest is because they have forgotten that they have sown. Now, one reason for this, and this is the next thing, write this down. One reason for this is because we see sowing or giving as a loss and not an investment. Now, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from the spirituality of what we're talking about when I use the word investment, but it is an investment. You know, Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. And, and so there is an investment that takes place. Now, here's what happens a lot of times we sow and we see it as a loss. In other words, we see that as we gave, we obeyed the Lord and we gave, and we saw that seed leaving our life. We waved goodbye to it and we said, so long, I'll never see you again. And that's the way we have viewed it. But what the Bible actually teaches us is that it is a harvest that God will bring back into your life. And so a lot of times, and, and I want to say this to you, um, maybe you might have some investments. Maybe you might have a 401k from your job or, or you, uh, you know, own some stock or something like that. You know, of course, one thing that's big now is Bitcoin, digital currency and all of that. I know people that, that do stocks and, and trade in stocks and things like that, that can tell you exactly what they have invested they can tell you exactly what they have in their 401k. They can tell you exactly what they have in their money market account. You know, I have a few shares of some stock that I've, you know, bought over time and not a whole lot, but a little bit. And, and I, you know, can pull it up anytime I want to and see where my little investments are and, you know, what the market is doing and all that type of thing. You know why? Because I keep track of it. Now, here's something that, and, and listen, don't get legalistic with this. Don't go in the ditch to the extreme with this, but you need to know what you are sowing. 
You need to keep track of that. And can I say this to you? Not just so when you file your taxes. <laughs> okay? Now, what I encourage you to do is keep a record of what you sow over and above your tithes. Why? So that you're able to go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is seed that I have sown. And I know that this is, you're, you're, you're multiplying this like you said that you would in 2 Corinthians 9, and I am expecting a harvest. And so when you know and you have an idea as how much has you've sown, then that gives you an idea of what you can look for and expect in harvest to show up in your life. Is that foreign to you or am I helping you? Okay, so don't get legalistic with what I'm telling you, but do keep a record of it just as you would your natural investments and give this the same attention that you would as natural things. Okay, so how do we reap our harvest? So this is what we've been working our way towards. So how do we reap our harvest? Here's the first thing that I want you to see. The first step to reaping your harvest is to rightly discern your harvest. Rightly discern your harvest. I'm going to tell you what that means. I'm going to define it for you in depth. But uh, the first step to reaping your harvest is to rightly discern your harvest. You know, a lot of times we don't reap a harvest because we have not rightly discerned our harvest. Look at Mark, or excuse me, John chapter 4, verse 35 in the Message Bible. It says this, as you look around right now, Jesus speaking, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be time to harvest? Now, so what Jesus is doing, he's having a conversation with his disciples. And he says this, he says, looking around and knowing what you know about agriculture, wouldn't you say that it's in four months time would be about the time of the harvest? Well, in the natural, they would agree with that. Apparently, the time of year that Jesus was saying this to them would have been sowing time. Because, you know, and when you sow in the natural, it's usually three or four months before you do reap a harvest. And so Jesus asked them the question. He said, as, as you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be time to harvest? And Jesus went on to say, well, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you these Samaritan fields are ripe, it's harvest time. Now Jesus switched gears on them and was talking to them about people, harvesting people and leading people to Christ. But what I want you to see is, is because the disciples' eyes were focused on the natural, they weren't discerning that it was time for a spiritual harvest to take place. And that's what you and I do a lot of times. We look around in the natural and we're so focused on the natural that we don't rightly discern when it is time for harvest to take place. And so we miss it just like the disciples did. Jesus was trying to change their thinking, in other words, and that is this, pay attention and be aware when it's time to harvest. All right? So here's three areas where you need to discern your harvest. Here's the first one. Write this down. You need to discern when your harvest is, when your harvest is. Now, all of this, let me preface by saying this is going to uh, be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. You remember we said last week 
that the Holy Spirit deals with you when it's time to sow and the Holy Spirit will deal with you when it's time to reap. All right, so when he begins to deal with you that the time is now, you need to discern when your harvest is. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one and two. You, you might be familiar with this verse. It says this, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. So there is a, an appointed time to plant and there is an appointed time to harvest. And we need to be aware when that time is. All right? Here's the next thing. Write this down. We need to know where your harvest is. You need to not only know when your harvest is, but you need to know where your harvest is. Now, God will lead you where you are supposed to reap your harvest. Now, and, and I want us to expand our thinking just a little bit. You do understand your mailbox is not the only place God can bring harvest to you. Okay? <laughs> you know, a lot of times we think that the mailbox is the only way that God can bring increase into our lives. And it's not. All right? He has, he, he has ways to be able to do it that you hadn't even thought about yet. Now, the mailbox is great. And I love to receive increase in the mailbox. But how many of you know that doesn't happen all the time? So you need to know where your harvest is coming from. Let's look at a, uh, an event that happened in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 3. This is dealing with the life of Isaac. And uh, Isaac was grown and, uh, you know, had a family and so forth by this time. And so it, the scripture says in verse 1 of uh, in, in Genesis 26, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. So there is a famine. Everybody say famine. All right. Now, if you know what a famine is, you know that times are lean and times are tough when there's a famine. Now, in this particular time in humanity, uh, a, a lot of people were farmers, agriculturalists, and so famine could just absolutely destroy someone's livelihood when they came. So I want to really emphasize this, that at this moment, there was a famine. Now, uh, if you have any common sense at all, uh, natural common sense will tell you a famine is not a time to sow, nor is it a time to reap. Am I right? You know, when they, when they around here, they start talking about drought, 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 drought. You know, everything's drying up and so forth. And of course, we're not nearly as bad as some of the folks out like in California or the Western states. But, you know, the, the thing that they will tell you is, is that when drought comes, you know, you can't water, you can't irrigate, you can't do all the things that really facilitate having a healthy crop. So what I want you to see in the natural, and I'm emphasizing this on purpose, in the natural, this was not a time to sow, nor was it a time to reap. So let's go on and read. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him, to Isaac, and said... Do not go down to Egypt. Now, Isaac had said, I've heard that there's water. I've heard there's plenty. 
down in Egypt, so we'll go down to Egypt and we'll live and ride out the famine here at home. But God said, do not go to Egypt, live in the land of which I shall tell you, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you for to you and your descendants, I give all these lands. I will perform the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. So again, natural circumstances are telling Isaac, this is not a time to sow and reap in your own land. So Isaac entertained the idea of going to Egypt, but God stopped him and said, don't go. I don't want you to go to Egypt. I want you to stay right where you are and I will bless you right where you are. So not in your notes, but one thing that I want you to hear in this is that even if there is a famine all around you, God can and will bless you and provide for you and protect you right in the middle of that famine. So let's drop down. Let's look at verses 12 and 13 in that same chapter. And it says this, then Isaac sowed in that land. What land? The land where he was told to stay put. And, and listen, remember, natural circumstances said, don't sow or reap right now. But Isaac sowed anyway. Why? Because he had a promise. He had a promise from God. So Isaac sowed in that land, and look at what it says, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Now, what, is, what does this mean? That means when natural circumstances said, don't sow, Isaac sowed anyway, God blessed it, and he, he reaped a hundred times what he had sown. Now, I, I'm going to say this to you. Um, you are not in the word. I'm just going to say it hard way, and then I'll, I'll soften it up. The word never promises you a hundredfold return on your giving. Okay, it does not promise you that. The only time that that's mentioned in the Gospels is Peter asked Jesus a question and said to, to Jesus, uh, Lord, look, we have left everything. We've left our families, we've left our households, we've left our spouses at home to take care of the kids and so forth in order to serve you and fulfill your will, plan, and purpose. And Jesus told the disciples no one has left father, mother, sisters, brothers, homes for my sake and the gospels that God will not provide a hundredfold in this lifetime with persecution. All right? We often forget about the persecution part. But anyway, what I want you to see is those are the circumstances where Jesus promised a hundredfold return. So, what I'm wanting you to see is, though, you're promised a harvest, but it not, might not always be a hundred times what you sowed. It might be more. Now, if you get locked in on a hundred, you've limited God. Okay, just a little food for thought there. All right, so look at what happened to Isaac. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in that same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And I love the way the New King James says this. The man, Isaac, began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. And that's what I want for you. I want you to begin to prosper. I want you to continue prospering. And I want you to continue prospering until you become very prosperous. 
Okay. And how did he do it? He sowed and he reaped when natural circumstances told him this is not the time to do that. But see, he rightly discerned when his harvest was and where his harvest was. God dealt with him. Stay right there where you are. Your harvest is right there. And God met him there in his harvest. Now, here's the third thing. Write this down. You need to discern how much your harvest is. How much your harvest is. Now, um, what I want you to understand, like I just said, do not limit God in how much he can bless your crops. But at the same time, don't underestimate God and leave some in the field. Do you understand that? In other words, don't limit God and, and just think, well, it's only this much. And, and then you leave some in the field and, and uh, just know, in other words, by the Spirit of God, how much your harvest is. Now, I want to show you something that kind of ties all three of these things together. See, a spiritual harvest in the, is, is not discerned in the natural by looking at natural circumstances. And oftentimes we do that. We do it. We, we look and we regulate spiritual things by looking at natural circumstances. I want to say this to you. Go back and rem, let me remind you of what we talked about early on in this series, and that is this. God is your source. Your job is not your source. The government is not your source. Your relatives are not your source. Now, God might use those things, but they are not your source. So what I want us to do is to train ourselves to put our eyes on him as our source and not the natural things around us. God has a million ways he could get increase into your life. All you need is one. Okay? So listen, the worst thing you can do is tie the hands of God by looking at your natural circumstances and looking at your job and saying, well, you know, I only make so much a year. I only make so, you know, so much an hour. Or, I, you know, I... I don't have other ways for God to, you know, I'm on a limited income. I hear people say that sometimes. Well, listen, take the limits off your income. Yeah, that might be the set amount that Social Security pays you, but that don't tie the hands of God to what Social Security can pay you. Are you listening to me? Okay. Now, you'll understand when we get into this. So, there is a harvest to reap from every single seed, so get your mind on the harvest. Part of reaping every harvest is believing that it is coming to you. So don't leave spiritual crops in the field. If you haven't thought of yourself as a harvester until now, start thinking of yourself that way. Roll up your sleeves and get to work. Amen. All right. So let's look at this story found in Luke chapter 5 and verses 1 through 11. A little, little lengthy, but it, it's good in what it brings out. So Jesus and the disciples are, are ministering and they're ministering around the Sea of Galilee. And so it was, verse 1 says, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, same thing, 
and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Everybody say nets. Uh, say uh, nets. Uh. Okay, I want you to get this uh, on the end of it, all right? So how many nets are they washing? More than one, all right? Then he got into one of the boats, and it happens to be that it was Simon's or Peter's boat, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And so you got to imagine if you're at, let's say, one of the lakes around here, and Jesus is on the shore, and, and, and people are pressing towards him, and he's, he's looking at the crowd, and he's getting closer and closer to the edge of the water. He decides the best thing for him to do is to get in a boat and be a little ways offshore, and that way he can speak to everybody on the seashore. And so he asked Simon, can he borrow Simon's boat? Now, what was Simon doing? Watching his what? Netza. Okay. <laughs> All right, so he got into the boat, put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So, uh, I didn't put this in your notes, but it might do you good to write it down. All right? Jesus will never use something that belongs to you and return it back to you in the same condition he used it. Okay? Did you get that? I don't want you to miss that. You can never put something into the hands of the master and get it back from him and it be in the same condition as you placed it in his hands. All right? That's very, very important. So let's look at what happened. Verse four. So when he, Jesus, had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Uh, say that again. How many is that? More than one. For a catch. So Jesus' instructions to Simon were launch out, go away, little ways from the shore where it's deep and launch and put out your nets for a catch. So, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. In other words, Master, the natural circumstances there aren't any fish out there. You know, he might say it this way. We might be able to identify with this. The fish ain't biting, Jesus. Okay, anybody, can anybody identify with that? I'm fishing all night, Jesus, and the fish ain't biting. Jesus didn't ask you for a report on how the fish were. He just told you, put out your nets for a catch. All right? So Simon says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, put out the nets. Okay? Here's the first mistake Peter made. He did not rightly discern his harvest. He did not discern where his harvest was coming from. He did not discern when his harvest was coming. And nor did he discern how much his harvest was going to be. Again, he, it's because he didn't understand Jesus. 
He didn't know Jesus then like he knows Jesus now, like we can know Jesus now in the sense of Jesus will never take something from you and return it back to you the same. We've got to get that. Jesus borrowed Peter's boat. He gave Peter back his boat, but there was no harvest in just getting his boat back. Are you following me? So, nevertheless, at your word, Peter says, I will let down the net. Wrong. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net, one, was breaking. Why? They did not rightly discern how much their harvest was going to be. And because of that, they did not prepare for it. Okay? So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That, folks, listen, that's a lot of fish. Now, I've been fishing in my life, but I have never caught so many fish that it was, I was in danger of the boat I was in sinking because of the amount that I've caught. I've never experienced that. These men did, all right? So when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid from now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. So what do we see here? We see that Peter and the other fishermen, his business partners, they did not discern when their harvest was. They did not discern where their harvest was. And they did not discern how much their harvest was because they fully or did not fully understand Jesus. Do not make the same mistake they made. Now, I don't think it would have been pretentious for them had they known Jesus to understand that Jesus would bless them for using their stuff. All right? So, and, and, and here's what I want you to get to. You remember, I, what is it I always say pay attention to when you're studying the Bible? Details. See, if they had been listening to Jesus would they have put out the net? No, they'd have put down the nets. Are you with me? All right. I want us to get that and I want us to understand it because you need to know when, where, and how much your harvest is. All right. So how will you know? Well, 1 John 2.20 says this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. <coughs> Excuse me. He's called the Holy Spirit and you know all things. Now, does that mean you don't ever have to learn? No, that's not what he's saying. Doesn't mean you're a know-it-all. It just means that the potential is there for the Holy Ghost to reveal to you on the inside of you all things that you need to know. So here's my point. When you have put something in the master's hand, start paying attention to what the master says to you. Because he may be telling you, put down the nets, uh, and you don't want to make the mistake of putting out a net. 
Are you listening to me? All right. So how do you know when your harvest is? How do you know? Well, again, you have to understand spiritual things. You have to learn how to be sensitive to your spirit. Now, here's why. Because a key indicator that harvest time is near is that there will be a joy down here in your spirit. Now, joy and happiness are not the same thing. Joy is spiritual. Happiness is not. Happiness is, is largely uh, equal or connected to your circumstances. So if, if circumstances are good, we are happy. If circumstances aren't that good, we're not so happy. But you can have joy whether circumstances are good or you can have joy when circumstances are not good because it's not dependent on what's going on out here. It's dependent on what's going on in your spirit. And, and well, pastor, I never, I never experienced that because you're not, you, you're, you haven't developed your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit because he is the one that brings that joy up in your spirit to tell you, hey, something good's coming. Something good is coming. Now, I will say this, just a little side note. I've got joy in my spirit right now because I know something good is coming. Something good is coming in my life. Something good is coming in this church. And I'm not just saying that to, you know, hype you up or anything. I'm saying it because I really believe that and discern that in my spirit. That's why I am not moved by natural circumstances. Now, I'm affected by things just like you are. But I have a decision to make. Am I going to let that govern my thinking and how I respond? Or am I going to govern my thinking by the word of God and my responses by the word? So I have a knowing in my spirit. So an indicator that harvest time is near is joy in your spirit. Let's look at some scriptures. Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6. Now, anybody ever heard the old song, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoice. Okay. All right. I'm fixing to look at that scripture. Except we're not going to call them sheaves. That's an old word for a bundle. All right. Okay. But let's look at that scripture. Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6. Let those who wept as they planted their crops gather their harvest with sadness. Huh? What does it say? Gather their harvest with what? Joy. Joy. Then the, verse 6 says this. Those who wept as they went out carrying the seed will come back singing for joy as they bring in the harvest. Now, here's what... Um, let, me, let me... I read a commentary that said this because what I've always heard... And, and kind of believed myself was. Notice it says, let those who wept as they planted their crops gather the harvest with joy. And then it dawned on me. I have never seen a farmer crying while he was sowing his field. So there's a disconnection there. In other words, and you know, and I've heard people say, and, and it might be true to an effect. All right, when times are tough, it's more difficult to sow. But only if you see it as a loss. A farmer doesn't see it as a loss. A farmer never sows a field and sees it as a loss. He doesn't. 
All right, so there's a disconnect with this scripture. So then I had to do a little bit of research, a little bit of study, and uh, I found out what the deal is, all right? Because you have to look at some commentaries. The reason that this mentions that they wept as they planted their crops was because of this. If you read the psalm in its entirety and put it in the context of Jewish history, they had been in a period of great disobedience. And because of that, the ground became hard. It had not rained. The ground was hard and it was difficult to plant. Now, the reason that they were crying is because of the amount of work that it was going to require to get the ground to produce even a little bit. So they were out in the field crying because of the extreme labor that they were having to perform in order to turn the soil. But once they got the seed in the ground, they weren't crying anymore at that point. Then when harvest time came, there was joy. So here's what I want you to see. Never look at sowing time as a sad time. Okay? You know, when you, uh, in our case, you know, if you were to give in an envelope and you drop in the container on the way out the door, don't keep looking back going, bye, bye. I'm going to miss you. I, I hope to see you again sometime. And we keep looking back. We go through the door. We keep looking back in that basket. And as we get in our car, we drive by the window so we can look in the building one more time and look at our seed in that basket. Okay, why? Why do we do that? Because we're seeing it as a loss. You want me to tell you why? You don't know Jesus. You're like Peter. You keep wanting to put down the net, all right? So the man doesn't weep because he uh, sees it as a loss. Now, it might be hard work to sow, but you don't sow seeing it as a loss, all right? Look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 3. It says this, you have enlarged, talking about the Lord, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people are sad at harvest time. Huh? They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. See, you need to sow knowing that's not the end of the story. All right, write this down, please. You sow in joy, you wait in joy, and you reap in joy. See, I can put seed in the ground, I can sow my seed, and do it joyfully. Why? Because I know my God, and I know what his word says. And so then when I put that seed in the ground, I don't get sad about it. I don't go and, you know, mourn because I've lost that seed. No, I'm joyful. Why am I joyful? Because I know what God is doing behind the scenes. And I'm joyfully waiting on my harvest. Here's why. I may not know when exactly on the calendar it's coming. I might know in my spirit but here's what I do know, it's coming. 
The harvest is coming. Now, here's the second thing. And by the way, we'll finish this up next week. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's number two. Make sure your harvest is ready by your worship, your thanksgiving, and your praise. This is how you water your harvest or your field. Once you put the seed in the ground, you water it. You irrigate it. So make sure your harvest is ready by your worship, by your thanksgiving, and by your praise. Now, I will say this. God, the Lord has really been dealing with me lately about my personal worship time. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, and I'm not bragging when I say this. I have worked hard over the last few years, couple years, uh, to develop my prayer life. You know, I'm spending time in prayer. But God wanted, has, has been dealing with me to add a different dimension to that in my worship. What do I mean? Um, spending quality time worshiping the Lord. How does, how does that look? Well, first of all, you got to develop a vocabulary of worship. And the way you do that is by going to the worship book in Psalms is a good, good resource and fill your mouth with some of the things that David used to say to the Lord in worship. Um, you know, like we sang earlier, what a beautiful name it is. Worship the Lord. You, you do understand if you've ever read the book of Revelation that there is coming a day in heaven where we're all, however many bazillions of us there are in heaven, uh, we're going to be worshiping the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And, and can I tell you this, and I'm not knocking this, this is a good place to start, but we don't want to be a thousand years into our time in heaven and all we have is, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And I'm not mocking that. That's a good place to start, but you don't want to stay there. You want to develop a vocabulary of worship. Let me give you an example. David made a statement in uh, the Psalms where he said this. So David said this. He said, I worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. When was the last time you told the Lord how beautiful he is? Not in a weird way, but he is. God is the most beautiful being in all the universe. When was the last time you told him that? Somebody says, well, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. Well, try not telling your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend that for a period of time and see how it goes over. Okay? So what am I saying to you? We need to develop a vocabulary of worship. So the Lord has been dealing with me and I've been, you know, working on developing that. But here's what I want you to see. This is very closely related to the success of your harvest where you spend time worshiping the Lord for your harvest. Look at the scripture, Psalm 67, verses five and six. We're almost done. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Then the earth will yield its harvest. And God, our God, will richly bless us. See, we want the latter part, verse 6, without doing verse 1. 
And, and verse one or verse five rather says, may the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you then. And when you see the word then, you have to look at what came before the then. Because that means the then is conditional. So you have to do what's in verse five in order for your harvest to be richly blessed. So what does that mean? While I'm in that waiting period, while I'm in between the sowing and the reaping, Lord, I just want to thank you and praise you today for my harvest. Oh, Father, thank you that you caused the rains to fall on my harvest. You said you caused the early rain and the latter rain to fall on my harvest. Jesus, I worship you because you're the Lord of the harvest. Thank you, Lord, my harvest is coming in. And so what I have begun to do is learn how to water my fields with my worship, my thanksgiving, and my praise. Now, can I say this to you? Um, well, let me, let me give you a couple more points. Worship, thanksgiving, and praise helps, move, helps things move along since they are the language of faith. It is worship, praise, and thanksgiving is the language of faith. If you want to tell whether you're in faith or not, look at how much praise and worship and thanksgiving you're lifting up. Uh, Dr. Jerry Savelle said this, the depth of your praise will determine the magnitude of your harvest. The depth of your praise will determine the magnitude of your harvest. And so what I want to encourage you to do is in that in-between time, learn how to worship God for your harvest. Now, I want to say this to you, okay? Our church sows and has sown a lot of money into other ministries. Just in 2021 alone, we sowed close to $10,000 into Charlotte Rescue Mission and two missionaries that we support, one in Africa and one in Europe, all right? That's seed that we as a church have sown, now, what God has begun dealing with me on is as the pastor, and I want to encourage you to hook up with me in this, is to begin to thank God for the harvest and worship him for the harvest on the seed that we have sown. Because I don't look at that as a loss for our church. It's an investment into the kingdom of God, and God has richly promised us that he will bless us because of that. So I want to make sure as the pastor, I'm letting down the nets, uh, not the net. Uh. Are you following me? So what I've begun to do is I've begun to spend quality time worshiping and praising God for our harvest. Thank you, Lord, for our harvest that's coming in. Oh, Father, thank you for the seed that we sowed at Charlotte Rescue Mission. Thank you for the men and women's lives who are being touched and changed, people on addiction that are getting set free because of seed that we have sown. Now, Jesus, that's the same as you getting in Peter's boat. And so we release that resource so that you could use it to preach the gospel. And so, Jesus, I believe you for a harvest on what we have sown. Now, you want to hear some testimony? Okay, well, I thought I'd share it with you, but you obviously, y'all aren't very excited. Linda, you want to hear a testimony? Okay, all right. Well, here we go. Now, as I, as I told you, 
at the, uh, I think I started mentioning this to you at the beginning of the year. I know I mentioned it to you in January and February, how we had had a deficit over those months where we weren't meeting our budget. Remember, do, does anybody remember me saying that? Okay. So we prayed, we believed God uh, for the, the difference to come in. Well, what God instructed me to do was to, as I have been saying to you, to begin to believe for the harvest to come in on the seed that we have sown. Now, that mount that I gave you was just in 2021. I mean, we have done this for years and years and years. So there's a lot of back crops back there that we haven't harvested. And we're getting ready to harvest. So, and, and I'm not saying this to, you know, pin any flowers on me or anything like that, but I have begun to really focus on thanking God for the harvest. Lord, thank you for, for the harvest coming into Spring Hill Church. Well, uh, because of those deficits that we were dealing with, we were behind in our rent for February and March. Well, that total is, is $6,274 with both months combined. Our rent is $3,137 a month here at the school. Now, I will say this. The school never mentioned it, didn't give us a hard time about it. I stayed in contact with them and, you know, told them we were working on it. We were doing what we needed to do, so forth and so on. Well, you remember I said to you last week I had a praise report, but it wasn't fully, it was premature for me to share it. Well, we had a gift come in for $10,000 that paid February, March, and we're paid up for April all the way to May 1st. All right? Praise God. Amen. To God be the glory. Now, why am I sharing that with you? Because I want you to see, and again, I'm not saying this because it's anything I did. It's all because of God and his word. But because I have begun to worship him for our harvest and to thank him for our harvest, I believe that that contributed to that harvest coming in. And, and, and listen, here's what I want you to see. What happens for your house, church house, happens for your house. So you need to start doing what I'm telling you to do and to begin to believe God for harvest because it's on the way if you receive it and you harvest it. Amen. Did you get anything out of this today? Praise God. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.